Hey, my name's Jamie Poisson, and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Taylor Swift's 50 City Eras Tour is expected to bring in $1 billion in ticket sales. Hi, I'm Ian Hennemansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. I mean, it is incredible when you think about uh, 300,000 tickets. Everyone seemed to have been uh, waitlisted. Our question, how far have you gone for concert tickets and was it worth it? We purchased our four tickets. I think we're in shock. You know, we were so thrilled to get the code yesterday. My daughter, who's a Swifty fan, she was crying and we were hugging. I got Taylor Swift tickets in Milan. I just literally shot my shot in many European countries as I could. We got tickets. It was amazing. I saw them with uh, Tom Petty, Dylan and the Dead. In the mid-late 80s, I hitchhiked uh, from Edmonton to L.A. and back three times. To see your favorite artist live surrounded by thousands of other fans, it can be magical. But these days, it also seems to take some magic to get tickets, especially this summer for Taylor Swift. Have you spent hours on your computer waiting for that code? Or maybe you have fond memories of waiting overnight in the pre-internet days for a wristband to get paper tickets. Different eras, same elation. Our question, how far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? And in the last half hour, Stephen Page has toured internationally with both the Bare Naked Ladies and now as a solo act. And he says behind the scenes, major artists have more leverage to control ticket prices, but it isn't always reported that way. I'm Ian Hennemansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio 1, this is Check Up, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from August 13th, 2023. We're going to talk a lot about Taylor Swift, I'm sure, over the next 90 minutes, but we don't have to restrict it to that at all. There are so many artists out there, so many concert stories over the years. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, many of those stories from you. But but let's start by talking about Taylor Swift and how for some of the people who ended up getting concert tickets, it's meant some unexpected international travel. And that is the case with our first guest, Helen Sirigo, a self-described Swifty superfan. She's in Waba, Ontario. That's about an hour west of Ottawa. Hi, Helen. Hi, Ian. Such a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, real pleasure to have you on the program. You are going to Edinburgh, Scotland next year to see Taylor Swift, and that did not come easy. Tell us a little bit about the search that led to you finally getting those tickets. Yes, that's true. It's been a, a journey. Um, it started, I guess, November um, 22, uh, when when she announced the tour and we got, you know, ver- went through a verified fan process to, to go through Ticketmaster to see some of the U.S. shows. Pretty disappointed there was no Canada at that time, but we signed up to try to see some shows, a uh, show in New York and a show in Boston. Um, November came, did not I did not get tickets, was devastated, you know, waited, you know, online all day, the whole, everyone's kind of heard the the disaster that was that Ticketmaster um, rollout. 
And uh, then kind of just waiting if Canada is going to happen. Finally, um, in the new year, uh, the international tour got announced. And we, I'm lucky I have a really um, lovely and patient and supportive partner, Max, who's been going through this kind of ridiculous journey with me. But we kind <laughs> of like looked at a map and looked at the locations and where would we go. And we uh, registered for tickets in uh, Mexico and Argentina, didn't get any codes for those. Then moved on to Australia. We both have uh, best friends, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney. Um, so got codes for those, got, you know, stayed up till 1am to try or started. I think the sales started at 1am, stayed up like late into the night to try to get tickets, didn't get tickets, devastated. Then Europe happened. Um, and we got waitlisted for Paris and Ireland. And for people who haven't been in this like ridiculous debacle, waitlisted means like, <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Um, it's just a nice way to placate the fans. But we uh, got some codes for UK with the help also of our friends, got my little fan network of people who are well fans of me that are helping me get my swift <laughs> tickets um and so they had codes so we finally got some codes for um liverpool edinburgh and um cardiff so we had 10 shots the way they rolled out the the tickets there were a lot more organized than the u.s because they had learned you know how that went so it was every two hours um you know a city would sell every two hours each show so starting at 5 a.m canadian time or eastern time um we, you know, got up, got ready to buy tickets. Um, so I think our second day trying was Edinburgh and we got it on the third, third shot. So we, you know, started at 5 a.m. Then there was a sale six, eight, ten. So we got the 10, 10 slot and it was just a mad panic, just whatever we could get. Um, wanted to get some more ticket, like four tickets was the max. Wanted to bring some friends, but weren't able to just grab the two and we're just happy with that. Um, the next day we had a Liverpool code and a Cardiff code and couldn't, couldn't get those. Um, but we're really excited about, uh, Edinburgh. And then we tried, of course, for Toronto, cause I'd love to see Taylor, um, in Canada, um, but didn't get codes again, a bunch of friends tried to get codes for, for me too. And it, none of us, so we all got waitlisted. So sad that we're not going to go there, but we've got a, got a really fun uh, trip planned June, 2024. So just a little bit to wait. Yeah. Well, it's, it's such a great story you tell. We're speaking with Helen Sirigo, who has two Taylor Swift tickets for Edinburgh, Scotland next year. Um, and I assume you're not just going to jet in and jet out. You're going to turn this into a bit of a trip to Scotland. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've never been to Scotland, but I have my mum's side is Scottish. So we'll go explore a little bit. My partner's from um, London. So we'll go, you know, do, do kind of some family historical kind of touring around and, and make it into a really good trip where, you know, the next thing we need to figure out is like, how are we going to stay in, in Edinburgh? Are we going to have to camp in the streets? But that'll be another another battle in this in this saga. Helen, the answer to this next question is going to be absolutely obvious for a certain percentage of our audience, but maybe for some, they'll be very curious about this. Why? Why are you going to such lengths to see a Taylor I, Swift concert? I know. Uh, yeah, I know it's crazy. I respect it's crazy. Um, I've just <laughs> been a fan for a really long time since like 2006. I've just been kind of on this journey with her going from country to pop to indie to Sort of disco-y, like I'm just there for it. Um, and I I had I wasn't able to get, you know, tickets to the the last two tours because I was a full-time student. Um, so this was kind of my first shot. And then, you know, there's been, you know, four albums since she toured last. So I think the A, I'm just a huge fan. I think it's gonna be an amazing show. Um, but it's also this like kind of retrospective, like massive spectacle. It also feels, you know, for you know, uh people who maybe aren't 
as a Swifty and they're going with their partner or whatever, it's, it's kind of like a bit of a zeitgeist moment. It's a, it's just a moment in time. And I think it's kind of, it's just going to be such a good, good experience. We're live. We're live with Helen Sirigo. She bought tickets to see Taylor Swift in Edinburgh next summer. Our question on the Cross Country Checkup, how far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? You can call us now at 1-888-416-8333. You can also text us. That text number is 226-758-8924. Helen, the... Here's the thing with a concert, right? Like on the one hand, Taylor Swift has proven, I think, with her many concerts she's had up until now, that she delivers. I have yet to hear anybody say that they're disappointed at all with what they've seen. I got to tell you, though, in my past going to see artists, it's been kind of hit and miss. Like I, I won't name names, but I remember going to see someone who I idolized since I was a little kid. And I, I splurged and bought floor tickets and went to see that artist in Montreal. Turns out it was just a flat performance. And later on, I heard that he was in the throes of a cocaine addiction at the time and wasn't he wasn't at his best. Any anxiety at all about the possibility that Taylor Swift won't be able to live up to your enormous expectations? Um, I, well, you know, yeah, we're seeing her kind of, you know, like a year and a half into touring. So she's probably not going to be as fresh, but I think she is just that kind of performer where she really connects with her fans. I think she really gets a lot herself out of performing. I think she, you know, loves that experience. So I think she'll, you know, bring it everywhere she goes. You know, you saw pictures of her, um, you know, three hours in the rain in, in Boston, you know, singing, not canceling, you know, any show was out there rain or shine. Um, so I think she'll, I think she's having a great time and I think she'll bring a good experience. And I think just being there with other fans and just kind of being in that intense experience will be fun no matter what. And then we've got a nice trip to look forward to. I think there's no doubt that all of those <laughs> things are going to happen. And uh, one last thing, Pretty sure you're dressing up for the concert. Uh, your partner, uh, can you convince him? And, and what do you think he'll dress up? In what way do you think he'll dress up for the concert? Yeah, um, I definitely have broken the news to Max that we will be dressing up. <laughs> um, so we haven't, you know, we've got a little time to work on our, our costumes here. But uh, I, you can either go two ways, it seems. You can do a look from a show or a previous show or a video. Or you can kind of do something a bit like witty, sort of based on a song. So I think we might go that way. Um, but you're going to have to follow along, Ian, and see what happens. <laughs> okay, well, I look forward to that. And let me tell you, um, I, I, I would think that there might be people who are jealous of other people who have tickets. But I think anyone who's heard your story is really happy for you. If anyone deserves to see Taylor Swift, it's you. And uh, and I'm oh. happy for you. So uh, thank oh, you very much you. for sharing your story. And I think the anticipation alone in the next year or so uh, is going to be almost as much fun as the concert itself. So they, en- they enjoy. Say most, they say most of happiness is in anticipation. So I'll definitely have lots of that. Very Zen-like of you. Thank you very much, Helen. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Have a great day. Helen Sirigo is a Swifty. That's her own description. Traveling to Edinburgh, Scotland next year to see her first Taylor Swift concert. And we reached her in Waba, Ontario, about an hour west of Ottawa. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk to Karen Bliss. She's a correspondent with Billboard magazine who has a few tips for concert ticket buyers. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your concert stories. Did you camp out? Did you drive across the country? Hitchhike? Maybe you're one of the people who has seen the same artist 
dozens of times over the years because you just love watching them so much. So uh, we'd love to hear your story. How far have you gone for concert tickets, both figuratively and literally? Was it worth it? Call us at 1-888-416-8333 or go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. That phone number is what Keith Duame did, uh, and he is in Winnipeg. Hi, Keith. Hi, hi, Ian. How are you? Good. What's Good. your concert you? ticket nice story? What's your concert ticket story? Well, with us, it wasn't so much that we the concert was a destination. It would just happen to be um, um, an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was back in 2019. We decided in January of that year we were going to go to uh, Iceland in uh, in August of that year to hike the the Logavega Trail, and. Um, you know, once we'd booked uh, our airfare and um, and a few other things, uh, we said, well, you know, we got a, a few days to kill on each end of the hike, so what other activities are available there? And uh, we found out that Ed Sheeran was in town. Wow. And playing the, the last of his world tour at the time, hmm. and there were tickets available. So um, we picked up tickets and um, went to the show, the very last show of that tour. And uh, what surprised us is that the tickets we had gotten were um, were right on the right on the soccer field itself. Mm-hmm. So we were able to wander around a little bit during the show. And we, we ran across people who were obviously because they're tired Canadians. And um, we started chatting with them a little bit. And it, it kind of struck us that several of them had, had flown specifically to Reykjavik just to see that concert. They were wow. coming in, seeing the concert, getting on the plane the next day or maybe a, a, a day or two later and going home. And uh, that's when it struck us just how bad the, the ticket situation was in terms mm-hmm. of seeing these, um, I guess, A-list acts, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, how bad it is for the for some people, but how fantastic it was for you to just have that happenstance moment that you just happened to be in Reykjavik. You had whatever it was, a couple of days, and you just you ended up being able to get tickets to, to the concert. That What a fantastic experience. Yeah, it was great for us. But uh, I don't know if I would fly to right all the way to Reykjavik just to see Ed Sheeran. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> like you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of his, and and weirdly, I was in Reykjavik last week. My wife and I were just there uh, on vacation, so uh, I like the place a lot. But uh, yeah, flying there from Canada to to I can't think of an artist I would do that for, but uh, I think uh, it was uh, you know worked out really well for you. Um, was there anything about that concert in that setting? Um, that was notable to you, or did it feel like a concert you could have been to in Winnipeg? Um, I think the one thing about it that kind of was nice about it was it, the the soccer stadium there is not, you know, it's not a huge facility, mm-hmm. and being on the field and uh, you were you were in fairly close. And my impression of Ed Sheeran is he, you know, he started out as a busker many many years ago, and he and he still has that sort of feel to him. And and so he played to the people right in front of him uh, on the soccer field in, in many ways as a busker. So there was an intimacy to it, I think, that you wouldn't see in a in a big stadium production that you're you know that people are vying for tickets for uh, for Taylor Swift. Yeah, and and that that made it kind of nice. Well, and you know what? It's a reminder. I, I don't think when I've traveled that I've thought to look at uh, the availability of concert tickets, but I'll bet you there are some opportunities like that. There also might be opportunities for artists who are in cities where maybe they don't have as big a following as they might, let's say, back here in North America. And so that might be an opportunity as well to see an artist that uh, maybe we couldn't get a ticket for here. But in Ed Sheeran's case, he's yeah. big everywhere. It just worked out well for you. Keith, thank you very yeah, much for sure. calling. You're welcome. You have a good day.
Yeah, you glad too. you're here. Glad you enjoyed Iceland. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I, I assume you you had a great time hiking the trail, right? It's an it is it's uh, you know it's the Lego Bay is one of the ten uh, top trails in the world, mm-hmm. and it does not disappoint. It's yeah. uh, it's their answer to our West Coast Trail, and it is absolutely stunning. It is it is one of the hikes if you're a hiker to do on this planet. Good to know. Thank you very much for calling. You're welcome. I'm Ian, I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. You are listening to or watching Cross Country Checkup. We're on CBC News Network, CBC Radio, CBC Gem, also cbcnews.ca. We are live and you can take part in the program by giving us a call or you can contact us via social media. I uh, sent out my usual Saturday tweet previewing the show and got some uh, interesting responses to this question about how far you've gone for a concert and whether it's worth it. Shoshana Parker wrote... My husband and I, along with several friends, often travel to see fish uh, from Vancouver. We've gone to see them in Mexico. AJ wrote, live in Nova Scotia, have gone to Istanbul in one direction and Tokyo in the other to see you too. Wow. And lots of road trips in between, including the trek to Moncton to see them end their uh, 2011 tour with a stop in Sackville to show Friends Mount Allison. Okay, that is just an attempt to curry favor with me since, of course, I'm a, not of course, but I'm a Mount A alumna. So AJ, thanks for the uh, Mount A shout out and what a couple of incredible trips to see you too. Natalie Williams Calhoun uh, tweeted us to say, we're on our way to Ottawa from PEI for a family vacation and my husband found out that Metallica is playing in Montreal's Olympic Stadium tomorrow night. So he bought tickets. It will be my 15-year-old son's first live show and my husband's first time seeing his favorite band. Fantastic. Steve Giddings on uh, Twitter writing, got tickets to Rage Against the Machine in Washington, D.C. Show was delayed for two years due to COVID. Tickets and dates were honored and got to go last summer. It was worth it. And one more tweet reply from Ken Schnell. I wouldn't pay such high ticket prices to go to a concert where I'm a mile away from the stage and have to watch the show on a jumbotron, not even to see a music or band, musician or band that I like. Small venues and $10 at the door equal a better experience. Boy, $10 at the door. I don't know who you can see for that. But coming up later, we're going to talk to a Canadian musician who can tell us about a concert tour he was on with his band when they were huge. And uh, they charge $20 at the door. So uh, that story is coming up. Now, if you were interested in Taylor Swift tickets or maybe Ed Sheeran tickets or maybe tickets for another big act that uh, are hard to get, our next guest says there may be some opportunities even if you miss the first round of sales and even if you want to avoid those often hugely inflated prices on resale sites like StubHub. Karen Bliss is the Canadian correspondent for Billboard.com and she is here to shed light on the Taylor Swift phenomenon and provide some ticket buying tips. We've reached her in Toronto today. Hello. Hi. Uh, Before we talk about how maybe you can save money on buying tickets, uh, let's talk about this concert series with Taylor Swift ending in Toronto. Uh, Give us some insight. Why do you think there's such a frenzy uh, about Taylor Swift's Canadian tour dates? She's one of the biggest artists in the world, and lots of people want to see her. It's it's quite simple. Same way I feel when Bruce Springsteen puts his show on tour. So I go into a bit of a panic myself. 
You know, there are lots of big artists out there, but every once in a while, there'll be a group or an artist that just is head and shoulders above everybody else at that moment. So you mentioned Bruce Springsteen, uh, even now, obviously popular, but especially in the 80s. I think of Prince, Madonna, um, you know, the, in a different era, the Beatles, every once in a while. And Taylor Swift's in, on that level now, right? That, that she's just connected with so many people in such a strong way. Uh, so talk more specifically about the Taylor Swift phenomenon, about the Swifties. Um, help us understand where what's behind that. I mean, I'm not sure I would be the right person to be able to explain, you know, the phenomenon behind the Swifties because I'm not a Swiftie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's honestly like every artist, big or small, has their dedicated fan base, you know, and it's simple math because she's one of the biggest artists in the world. She has, you know, a bigger following and she's smart. She's engaging. She writes her own material. She puts on a great show. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I can explain like why there's such a frenzy really. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking back to artists that I felt the same way about that the Swifties feel about Taylor Swift. And sometimes that I can come up with some fairly rational reasons. Like, you know, I was a huge fan of Prince and got to see him a couple of times. And he, and he is all those things you said about Taylor Swift, right? In, in terms of writing his own yeah. music. Plus, Probably you know, a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> I'm just... a category all his own, in my opinion. Yeah, except, I mean, I feel that same way, but, you know, I'm sure the Swifties would arm wrestle us over that. Um, and But then there other groups like or other artists like Madonna, who I think, um, you know, was equally popular for for a long time, uh, but maybe didn't. I don't know. It's like you know, didn't have the same. Wasn't as multidimensional maybe as uh, as Taylor Swift, and certainly not Prince. Anyway, you know, the, how can you describe a frenzy? You, you either you know love an artist or, or you don't love an artist. Um, let, let's uh, Karen talk about those ticket buying tips because I think a lot of people. Uh, when it comes time to, to getting tickets for uh, an artist or a group that they're fans of, they'll just Google that group and, you know, jump in and think, okay, that's what I got to pay. Um, give us some kind of sober journalistic advice about the best way to approach that. Okay. So I go to tons of concerts, sometimes for free, many times not. So I'm always buying tickets and I'm always in the same, you know, going on to Ticketmaster at, you know, quarter to 10 in the morning and, you know, waiting to see if I'm going to get in and, you know, I'll sign up for the verified fan uh, promo code. I've gone through all of that. And, you know, if you don't buy tickets on a regular basis, you might not know where to get them from. So you might not have known that you should have pre-registered to try and get this promo code. Um, You might not know that it's Ticketmaster. I've had friends just Google and then they go on to some resale site and they're already paying, you know, inflated prices when they haven't even gone on sale yet, you know, so those are speculative tickets. So typically it's Ticketmaster, as we all know, because they have a monopoly. So, you know, right now, if you don't have the promo code, you cannot buy them. But I guess closer to the time, you'll just have to be patient until, you know, next year um, when they set up the stage. Oftentimes, they'll release tickets that have been on hold for the production. They'll sell obstructed seats. Sometimes people are in a panic because they see how many tickets are available um, from other resellers, and they might simply just want to get their money back or they start lowering their prices. 
you know, it will be hard for, for Taylor Swift, but they will release holds. There are also holds put aside for um, sponsors and for people in the industry. People can buy direct. So if they, if you know someone in the industry, perhaps you can ask them and they can, you know, see if they can get through the promoter. Um, it will be hard for Taylor. Yeah, I mean, so again, she's kind of in a category uh, in and of her own right now in 2023. But for a lot of other artists, like, like uh, you know, the newsroom here in Vancouver is very close to a couple of concert venues, uh, Rogers, the uh, the hockey rink, and BC Place. And and there was just word in the newsroom, I remember a couple of years ago, that, that Paul McCartney floor tickets were being sold the day before his concert at their original cost. And I thought, how's that possible? There's no way. But sure enough, that did happen. I wasn't planning to go. I'd never seen Paul McCartney before. Ended up buying a couple of tickets at cost the day before the concert. It was a fantastic experience. And I guess it's exactly what you're talking about, right? And in that case, it's not reconfiguring the seating, but it's probably tickets that the promoter had held on to. And then in the last uh, day or so, realized that they, you know, they made them available. So um, yeah, so I guess, again, Taylor Swift may be the exception, but uh, for a lot of other artists, I guess you can sometimes get some pretty good deals day of or day before the concert. I've never not got a ticket for a show that I've wanted to go to. Um, there are maybe a couple of examples if the artist is playing a very small venue. But, you know, a cousin of mine got a ticket for Ed Sheeran at History. Granted, he paid 200 bucks, but that's not bad considering he was playing, you know, two sold-out nights at Rogers Center the next two nights. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I'm sure the tickets were, I don't even know, they were under 100, though. But he got it for 200, and he got to see Ed and you know, a fantastic show, a very different show at History. I wasn't able to get for uh, Hosier at Massey Hall, I remember, um, way back when. Like, sometimes they're really you know, are no tickets. Um, but for the bigger shows, if it's not Taylor, perhaps, um, there's always something obstructed uh, or you just go down. For, for Paul McCartney, I actually remember uh, standing in line at Scotiabank uh, Arena, and or it was called Air Canada Center at the time, and there was a whole lineup and Paul had already gone on, and then they were like, okay, everyone go, there's no tickets. Or I think they were selling, like, the five, the very expensive ones. They were going down the row of the people, uh, the line of people, in you know, waiting to buy. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to spend that much. But after everyone left, I just went back up to the um, box office, and they had two obstructed seats. And we went there, and actually the seats didn't even exist. They were <laughs> behind the curtain, and right. then they just sat us in great seats in the side. Yeah, no, that's good to know. These are all things that I think a lot of us would never normally think about. And so, uh, you know, there's hope, like a big asterisk here in terms of Taylor Swift, maybe less hope there, but you never know. You never know. And it's certainly, if if the alternative is not going at all, waiting until the last moment and checking some stuff out and standing in line is probably not bad, not a bad way to go. Karen, thank you very much. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just want to say, the other thing is, Taylor is a very young artist. She will be back, mm-hmm. not like going to see Bruce or the Stones yep. or Neil Young or Bob Dylan, where you just don't know, right? Yeah. So Taylor will be touring for a long, long time. Absolutely. Well, Paul McCartney, it took me until two years ago to finally see him, and it was absolutely worth it. And uh, yeah, it's uh, sometimes the wait is worth it. Karen, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you.
Karen Bliss is the Canadian correspondent for Billboard.com. Uh, stay tuned. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk to someone who's performed in a sellout arena tour across North America. Stephen Page will be here, uh, and he has a story about how the Bare Naked Ladies tried some lower ticket prices and what the reaction was to that. It's a really interesting anecdote. In the meantime, we'd love to hear about concerts past, present, and future, uh, and the lengths you've gone to see them or to go see them. Our question, how far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? Call us at 1-888-416-8333. You can also go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Chris O'Neill is uh, here in the city in Vancouver. Hi, Chris. Hi. How you doing? Good. Three-day trip I see here to go see Led Zeppelin. Tell me more about that story. Well, I think it was probably more three days standing in line. Oh. But uh, we probably had two or three rides to the border Mm -hmm. and kind of sketchy, but we made it across the border. And and then we got uh, out to middle Detroit and we were left on Woodward Highway and they just said, catch a bus going north, in which we did because uh, Pontiac Silverdome is 30 miles north of Detroit. So we kind of had, uh, you know, a couple stops at the liquor stores and whatever, <laughs> and then got on a bus and then maybe left a couple miles away from the, um, the dome itself. But we were days ahead and I knew that, but I knew I wouldn't be first in line. And, and that was what we tried to do. Yeah. So, so Chris, let me back up here for a second. So when you, so you were in Canada and headed into uh, the Detroit area, is that what happened? Yeah, 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 exactly. I uh, spent my uh, younger years in uh, Windsor and half my time traveling to Detroit to buy tickets for concerts and uh, for people I knew and friends and and just to get there myself. And so when you headed to the Silver Dome, one of those big uh, domes that used to be, you know, every sort of major city had one, um, did you have tickets at that point or was it, were you going to buy them no, when you no. got there? Um, no, the night before I was laying in bed sleeping and all I heard on the radio, which the radio was always on, and a huge concert announcement, huge concert announcement. So I tried to wake up and uh, they didn't the information out that fast, but I did get the word that it was um, uh, Led Zeppelin, which, you know, piqued my interest and uh, was like, you know, I already had my shoes on and uh, I think even before my pants. So um, <laughs> heading over there, I called a couple friends. At that time, you had to line up whether it will be a day or whenever, right? Yeah. But um, they did lower the amount of tickets people could buy. So the, I think it was in the beginning of the, so that people weren't buying tickets and reselling them for huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I never made money off any of the concert tickets I sold, whether I bought 10 or 20 or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it was just to get there and, uh, and share the experience with, uh, um, you know, friends of mine and yeah. whoever. But, um, yeah. Listen, I've got a whole bunch of people uh, that I want to get on on the air, uh, but I, let me ask sure. you. T- let me ask you two quick follow up questions, Chris. First of all, do you remember at all how much the tickets were? Oh my lord! You know, I wouldn't. Um, I'd want to say ten or twelve, but yep. I, I don't know. It was like probably seventy five or six, 
you know, this is probably a different time than yeah. these Taylor Swift. Fans. Yeah, no, but it's interesting, and, and that sounds about right. That sounds about right for the amount. It's just a good reminder of when, imagine that, right? You know, you could see one yeah. of the greatest rock bands ever for, uh, you know, less than, than 20 bucks. And and here's my last question for you, Chris. What sure. was the, What was the concert like? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. And, and did was, they, did they, a, was Stairway to Heaven the, the encore song? Oh, now you're asking questions that, uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think in the days that I was there, I don't, you know. <laughs> you don't remember. I don't want to promote any substance <laughs> no, or it. whatever, but <laughs> I, I hear think you. we indulged in all of them. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But anyway, um, what you do remember of I just it. Like to, I just like to say, whether it's Taylor Swift or anybody, do whatever you've got to get. Get tickets. I know they're crazy prices and try to find a way to just make it to the show and yeah. have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's interesting advice. Thank you very much for sharing that story. And I, and I do hope over the course of the program, we hear uh, different eras and different, uh, different bands and different experiences about people who have, uh, who have gone to see artists from Led Zeppelin to, uh, to Taylor Swift. So, uh, you know, we, we just, obviously we're talking a lot about how expensive tickets can be. Um, but, Sometimes tickets fall in people's lap for free. Uh, Sheena McMahon is calling from Victoria. Hi, Sheena. Hi, Ian. Uh, you yep. got free tickets <laughs> to the Rolling Stones. How is that possible? <laughs> Actually, it was my brother. So I have two stories. The okay. Free Stones tickets for my brother. Yeah. And my amazing experience at the last ever Eagles concert. Oh, okay. Well, let's yeah. start. Let's yeah. start with the the free tickets that your brother got for sure. the Stones. How did that come Absolutely. about? Absolutely. Well, I, that was in the eighties, I think, and um, he was working at a hotel. He was a busman. <laughs> Excuse me, but or yeah, bellboy, bellman. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother's a gutsy guy, <laughs> and um, the Stones were staying at the hotel, and he wanted to go to the concert. So when he saw I was Mick Jagger actually in the hallway he just went up to him and of course the security guards didn't stop him because he was wearing his Bellman's uniform right so he he just went up stopped a couple of feet away and said hey Mick I would really really like to go to your concert um can you give me a couple of tickets so not only did Mick give him two tickets but backstage passes oh my goodness so he chilled with the Stones backstage after the concert, right? So nothing ventured, nothing gained. I, I, Be brave. I, you know, I have some friends who would do that. <laughs> I would never do that. Like, I just would be too embarrassed to, to do that. But it's it's proof that sometimes that works out. That That is fantastic. And then what's your story yeah. about, uh, about the Eagles concert? Right. So uh, late 70s, I was in high school. Um, and I worked at McDonald's. And because in those days, ordinary people could afford to go to concerts, which mm-hmm. is how it should be, I asked my manager at McDonald's if I could get extra shifts so I could um, save enough money to, mm-hmm. to buy a ticket. And yeah, she said yes. So I got extra shifts at McDonald's, and a group of friends and I went. I think we were six or eight people, and it was outside. It was at a racetrack. So um, we were, I think, three guys, three girls, and we girls cooked the most amazing picnic, fried chicken, homemade biscuits, fresh 
fruit, lemonade, mm. and we brought uh, blankets, and we put them on the ground, and everybody around us was <laughs> looking at our picnic and wishing they had, you know, thought about the same thing. Yeah. And, and it was it was fabulous. It wasn't the best concert I ever went to because actually there was a bit of um because we were so far from the stage, mm-hmm. there was a bit of time delay oh. in the speakers. Yeah. Bit of time delay in the speakers. So the best concert I ever went to was Super Tramp Crime of the Century tour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this was the best concert experience I ever had because yeah. it was summer, it was hot, we were outside. The Eagles were one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm-hmm. And we were having a picnic and dancing to the Eagles. And I'm really grateful for you for doing this show because you brought that memory back to me. And now I'm in a really good mood. Yeah, no, I, I love even just hearing, you know, secondhand, hearing the memory. What year was this in 1979? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, so so they they had the Long Run album came out in 79 and they had had Hotel California in 77. So you you yeah. got them right at the absolute height of their popularity. I, I love the Eagles yeah. and I didn't see them until I until they did a concert in Toronto um, mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago and unfortunately yeah. at that point Glenn Fry had passed away. So yeah. um so his but but still it, it was fantastic to watch them but for you to have that yeah. opportunity even with the the audio delay back in uh, 1979. That's that's magical. Yeah. So thank you very yeah. much, Sheena, for sharing that story. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks to you too, Ian. Bye-bye. You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamansing, and we are live in Vancouver. How far have you gone to get concert tickets, and was it worth it? 1-888-416-8333 is our number. You can also contact us by going to cbc.ca slash Air check. So we've heard from fans, we've heard from a music journalist, we're going to talk to an economist a little bit later on about some of the realities of ticket prices, but let's turn to a singer-songwriter who's played his fair share of sold-out arenas and concert halls. Stephen Page co-founded the Bare Naked Ladies, and he's currently touring as a solo performer throughout North America, and we've reached him in Manlius, New York, which is just outside Syracuse. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how are you, Ian? Good, good. Great to have you on the program. And and for those who are watching on television, what a fantastic setting. Is that your home studio behind you? It is. It's kind of my, uh, you know, in in uh, in the old days, we used to fantasize about our treehouse. And so I just <laughs> have my, my grown-up treehouse now where I actually get to play with all my toys all day long. Nice. Well, that's you deserve it. And it's nice to, to have that space. Um, so I'm really interested in, in hearing an artist's perspective on this. Uh, I'm sure you've heard people complain about the high price of tickets uh, these days. Um, what's your perspective on that? Well, I, you know, the prices are crazy. Um, I guess it's what the market will bear. I don't think they need to be that expensive. Um, but uh, at the same time, I love the fact that it's an artist reaping these these rewards. Um, as much as we like to beat up on Live Nation and Ticketmaster and whatever else, uh, uh, Taylor Swift is making a ton of money from these shows, and she has um, this incredible empire. And I always, you know, I like seeing it when it's somebody who's actually somebody like her who is uh, a performer and a singer and a songwriter and, uh, you know, an employer of, of apparently a really good employer of, of road crew and musicians and dancers and so on. Um, I'm pretty impressed to see that. But, of course, we'd like tickets to be 
cheaper. And there are lots of cheap tickets to be had out in the rest of the world. So if you want to see live music, if that's what you want to see, there is live music in almost every town, almost at least once a week, if not every night, if you're in a bigger city and uh, the, at super reasonable prices. Mm -hmm. Come to one of my shows. <laughs> yeah. How much are the tickets for your shows? Uh, it depends on where you're going to, where you're going to come see me, but anywhere from 20 bucks to 65 bucks. Wow. That's fantastic. Now, listen, you, um, are a solo artist now. Um, we're talking to Stephen Page. You were a member of the Bare Naked Ladies, hugely successful band. And, uh, and I was listening to, to a, a pre-interview you did with our producer. And I love the story of a tour you guys did in support of the Gordon album where the young, idealistic bare naked ladies decided to set the ticket price at $20. How did that work out for you? Uh, well, okay. So we thought this is great. We want this show to be accessible to all audiences everywhere we go. I think we played 72 shows all across Canada, coast to coast to coast. And we were very excited to do this show all in one fell swoop. And we didn't want to leave anybody out. So we said, okay, tickets cost $20, you know, inspired by kind of the DIY punk world bands like Fugazi that said, you know, it's $5 no matter where you go uh, to see us. So we thought th same thing, $20. And the tickets all sold out, but nobody praised us. Nobody thanked <laughs> us. Um, you know, we realized at the end of the tour, we probably could have said $25 and made a heck of a lot more money. Yeah. But, this, you know, we did feel pretty good about, about the choice. And I think it's a great, it's a great business model as long as you can make it uh, pay the bills. What, one of the things about touring right now is that, Everything is more expensive. Trucking, uh, you know, costs for hotels and gas and all that kind of stuff. Travel is all really expensive. And for most of us, ticket prices actually haven't gone up. So our profit margins are pretty slim. Um, so, you know, whatever you can, whatever you can actually make a living doing, I think is a reasonable thing. We're live with Stephen Page on CBC Radio 1 and CBC News Network. You know him as a solo artist and former member of the Bare Naked Ladies. Our question today, how far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? Our number is one 416 or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. And, and Stephen, for you as an artist, I'm curious, how far have you gone to see a favorite band or are you at the stage in your reputation and career that you can just pick up the phone, text somebody and say, yeah, I'd like uh, seats to, to whatever, or do you have to stand in line like the rest of us? It's funny. I am so, I am so nervous about doing that, but like I, part of me, you know, in my, in my, uh, advancing years, I'm thinking, <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if I know anybody at the big promoters anymore to call them and ask a favor. They're probably more deserving artists out there who are bugging them for free tickets. So I just go on Ticketmaster like everybody else and look at the cost of a Bruce Springsteen ticket and go, I don't know. Do I like Springsteen that much to pay 400 bucks? Um, I tried to buy tickets for the death cab for cutie uh, postal service shows that are happening in the fall at Madison square garden. And I could not negotiate the Ticketmaster website. I mean, they sell tickets to my shows on these things. Mm -hmm. I could not figure it out. I went on, I had the special, the secret, you know, pre-sale code, Clicked on a couple tickets and went to buy them and said, those tickets are no longer available. So I went to do it some more and then the, the app crashed. And then I was like, I think I'm just going to have to wait until the week of and see if I still have plans or not and then buy them on StubHub. One last thing, Stephen, we've heard obviously from fans who have waxed uh, poetically about uh, the, the magic of being at a concert. We just had a, a woman uh, tell us about how fantastic it was to see the Eagles back in 1979. Tell me what the experience is like 
from being on stage? Like, is there a moment you can think of either as a solo artist or with Bare Naked Ladies where, you know how you hear like baseball hitters are in in the, the zone and, and they see the ball and they, you know, they, they can hit every single pitch that comes in. Has there been a moment for you as a musician where you've been on stage and you've just thought, this is it, man. Like, this is the most fantastic. This is This is all the reasons I'm a musician. I think I have those feelings more often now than I ever did. I think, you know, and honestly, I think post pandemic, my concert experiences, both as an audience member and as a performer have changed. Like I've started going to see more shows, you know, you realize your favorite artists are not going to be around forever. And, uh, you know, we've, we are losing our favorite artists, you know, at a increasing rate as the, Mm -hmm. um, as the generations move forward. And that is like, it's terrifying. So I take I don't take advantage of it. Like I don't I don't take it for granted. And being on stage with a group of people who fly from all over the place to come see me, I'm so moved by that um, that it's uh, it's a great gift to be both in the audience but on stage as well. Uh, I remember doing a show. It was a free show in a park in New Jersey. It was my first show back uh, in 2021, outdoor show, and it got rained out. And the audience stuck around through this torrential downpour until we could actually do a show. We couldn't turn the PA back on for risk of uh, electrocution. So I stood on the edge of the stage and sang acoustically um, for several hundred people. And it was just this amazing sense of connection. I think there is no there's no replacement for live music. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do it as often as I do. Nicely put and a nice way to, to end the conversation, Stephen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ian. Great to talk to you. Singer-songwriter Stephen Page co-founded the Bare Naked Ladies. His solo tour continues. He's playing Kerner Hall in Toronto on September the 30th. You can go to stephenpage.com for more details. In our last half hour, we're going to get a reality check on COVID in our Ask Me Anything. Perhaps you've heard about the latest variant and wondering how that might have an impact on your fall plans. We'll have an infectious disease doctor here to answer your questions. And we still have lots of time on the main topic today. Our question, how far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? Our phone number is 1-888-416-8333, or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. People uh, contacting us lots of ways, including via social media. Uh, Susanna Poitra sent us a text saying, Hi, from Moncton, New Brunswick. In 1996, I stood in line in Calgary for many hours and hours to try and get a Garth Brooks wristband that would allow me to come back the following week to stand in line for hours to try to get tickets. He kept adding shows as he sold out. I remember the line queued all through the Eaton Centre. Those truly were the best of times. And I got tickets to the final show. It was worth it. I missed those days. And I should say, Garth Brooks, well known for adding shows in a city so that uh, he tries to reach as many people as possible and uh, not have disappointed fans. So interesting to hear Suzanne's story. Ken Schnell tweets us to say, I wouldn't pay such high ticket prices to go to a concert where I'm a mile away from stage and have to watch the show on a jumbotron, not even to see a musician or band I like. Small venues and $10 at the door equal a better experience. Actually, we heard from Ken earlier, and uh, I'm still looking for that elusive $10 concert, Ken. Liz Sollers on Twitter says, 1987 loaded up the crew in my AMC Concord. Well, any anecdote that includes a reference to the AMC Concord is... uh, interestingly uh, dated, and and I love it. I drove three hours to Toronto 
uh, on a very naive whim, desperate to see you two. Had no tickets, no plan, went to the box office. They sold us some uh, at cost on in the ninth row. Best night ever for a bunch of small town 17-year-olds. So another example of why uh, you just got to give it a shot, whether you're a bellman asking Mick Jagger for tickets to a concert or a bunch of 17-year-olds who uh, are going to drive by in their AMC Concord to see if they can uh, get tickets to you too. This is Cross Country Checkup. We're live from Vancouver, and Michelle Baker is calling us from Mississauga. Hi, Michelle. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing well. I see that uh, you describe yourself and your friend as serial concert goers. Uh, we definitely were when we were younger. Yeah. Uh, first of all, nobody told me I was following Steve Page, so um, <laughs> I wish I had been aware. However, uh, how would, how would were, that how would that have changed your approach to the program? Uh, I, I don't think it would have, but it probably would have made me less nervous as I was listening <laughs> and then knowing I had to go next. All right. Uh, cool. No, my friend and I um, from uh, so I'm in my early 40s, so this is like dating us, but like from the early nineties, we're like obsessed with going to see our favorite bands. And uh, we did everything we possibly could to win tickets. We would um, listen to all the different radio stations to find out who had tickets and was giving them away or see if much music was or how it would go. Mm-hmm. We would come home for lunch um, because usually the times are like 12, five and I don't know, like, like 9am, 12 or five or something. So sometimes we would stay home and go to school a bit late so we could win tickets. Uh, we would come home at lunchtime to be calling in. Her dad had a business line. You know how you, there was business lines and like yeah. other lines? So it was yep. two lines. We were always on there. Uh, we were like, we were obsessed. And we got, we got really, really lucky just even on the radio situation. Um, but um, we also, one time we... Oh, I forget what station it was, but they were at a Salvation Army and they had said they had tickets for a concert we wanted to go see. Um, if you, they were going to announce what Salvation Army they were at. And if you could get there, the fan who donated the most clothes got the ticket. So we filled up, I think, like most of our wardrobes into these garbage <laughs> bags. And we somehow convinced her dad to drive us around in their minivan. Oh, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a station wagon. We're in the back seat. You faced out the back window. Like, nice. anyway, like just the best drive us around. We had written down a bunch of Salvation Armies, like in the geographical area they had identified. And uh, we were like, using a map to be like, let's check out this one, see if they're set up there. We did not win. But that was like two and a half hours of his time. And um, thank goodness, because honestly, probably most of our clothes were in this bag. So, <laughs> uh, we also, when we got a bit older, like we did um, camp outside of like record, like Sunrise Records at Dixie Valley Mall in Mississauga mm-hmm. to get uh, wristbands. Um, and, uh, in, when we couldn't, one time I even got my parents to write me a note to say I had an appointment so that I could run to a pay phone to get red hot chili peppers, like 94 or 95, get like tickets for it. So I was like, yeah, pay phone ready to call Ticketmaster for 10 a.m. to get those tickets. Pay phone, uh, station wagon. I, I love know. all these references. This is all I fantastic. Know. Listen, yeah. I, I, I need to get to one other call before oh, the top yeah, of the hour. Yeah, just, so, Michelle, let me just ask you one more thing. Um, best concert or at least one of your, your best concert experiences, what would that be? Um, I think one of the best ones that like, her and I had seen together, we saw Janet Jackson at the Sky Dome, and she had blow-ups that were, I swear, to the roof of the Sky Dome, it felt like. And it was just one of the most amazing shows. Like, she was just fantastic. And um, uh, it's the only time I'd ever seen her live. And we won tickets. I don't think I was gone had we, like, or even wanted to go if we hadn't won tickets, but it was phenomenal. And uh, I'm actually just getting, like, trying to learn. I've turned to TikTok to learn all the t- tri- tips and tricks to somehow get tickets because 
like I, I've always been like a Taylor Swift fan, but my nine year old's obsessed. So I'm like, <laughs> I stopped for the last decade or so, but now mm-hmm. I think I'm uh, back into it a little bit. So we'll see yeah. All right. Well, good luck with that. And as we heard, maybe even with Taylor Swift, though, it's going to be tougher than other artists, but maybe in the day or two or three days before the the concerts, there may be some uh, tickets that become available. Thank you very much for sharing your stories. They were great to hear. It was great to remember them. Thank you so much. All right. Let's let's go to Adam Wettstein, who's in Toronto. Hi, Adam. Hi. Boy, oh boy. I'm looking at uh, the, the, the story here and you got the gold standard of concert experiences back in 1963. Tell me about that. Actually, I looked at it. it was 64. Actually, okay. I realized. All right. Um, I was 12 years old. Uh, my sister was the same age as most of the Swifties are. She was a 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. So I completely understand the Swifties pull. Mm-hmm. The Beatles. I go down, I stand in line at 12 years old at Maple Leaf Gardens, and it stretches around the block. Mm-hmm. And I was there for a day and a half. <laughs> and I got to the front. I'm, I'm speeding this up because I know you're trying to get this done quickly. Yeah. Um, and my father would if, would check in on me occasionally. I wondered so about that, yeah. Yeah, so he'd check in on me occasionally. And I finally get to the front of the line. And for the a massive sum of six dollars and fifty cents, oh man, I, I, I get two tickets, which I then give to my sister, and uh, I never heard screaming like I heard screaming that day. And you weren't interested in going, like did you didn't no, go? I, no, 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 no. The entire audience for the Beatles at that time was pubescent girls. That mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. And if you went, and when I asked her what the concert was, she said, I don't know. I couldn't hear any music. All I heard was screaming for yeah. two hours. And uh, uh, any regrets that uh, that you chose not to go? No, none at all. Um, no, I'm, I'm not a concert person. Um, mostly. I, I. It just, it's a long story. I'm, yeah, but, but you, you know what you are, Adam? You are yeah, the I, you are the, yeah, best the best brother, brother ever. ever. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. I know. And she, and she she and she's the best sister ever. Yeah. So there you go. That is fantastic, anyway, Adam. Thank, thank you. you so much for calling Bye. in. What a great story. Uh, we want to say goodbye now to our TV viewers on CBC News Network, but our show will continue on CBC. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Radio 1. And for those of you who are listening on CBC Radio 1 and watching on CBC Gem and cbcnews.ca, thanks for tuning in. I'm Ian Hanamansing. We are live in Vancouver and we have roughly 30 minutes left in our main topic. And then we will have at the bottom of the hour our Ask Me Anything segment. The World Health Organization has declared a new COVID Omicron strain, a variant of interest. It's known as EG.5, and it's on the rise here in Canada. All of this comes as Canadians are starting to think about back-to-school plans 
and for a lot of people uh, back to the workplace as well after uh, summer vacation. And and so what impact is COVID going to have on us this fall? With that in mind, Canada's national vaccine advisors are recommending updated booster shots and uh, they will specifically target the Omicron sub-lineage. So we'll speak to an infectious disease physician about what all of this means and get some guidance on how to protect ourselves this fall. You can ask her anything. Our number for that, 1-888-416-8333. You can text us as well. That number is 226-758-8924. So if you do have questions for our infectious disease specialist, you can uh, you can actually call now and then we'll put you in the queue for that portion of the program, which starts in less than half an hour. But before we get there, I, I hope you're enjoying the conversation as much as I am today about concert tickets and how far people have gone for them and whether it was worth it. And we literally, I, I did not expect to hear from somebody who had bought tickets to a Beatles concert. There were very few in Canada. And uh, and I love the fact that we heard that. So from the Beatles to Led Zeppelin to the Eagles to Taylor Swift to Stephen Page and the Bare Naked Ladies, so many fantastic stories. Our number 1-888-416-8333. And Joe Gerba is in Edmonton. Hi, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Ian? Good. Tell me your concert ticket stories. Uh, <clears throat> I moved back to Edmonton in 1986. Uh, I was 17 years old, and uh, I guess my first concert was 87, and it was uh, uh, Metallica. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was the very first concert that they had played with the new bassist, Jason Newstead, uh, after Cliff Burton died in that uh, bus crash in Germany. Hmm. So... We, what we used to do is we'd go to Bonnie Doom Mall and we would line, or we would go just wait at the doors starting at maybe midnight, bring a box of beer. And <laughs> it was just me and, and our two friends, or like my two friends. Mm-hmm. And this went on for probably close to a couple of three years and lots and lots of concerts, always front and center, always, always. And then one uh, time, like uh, people started to kind of catch on to what we were doing. And then there was like, at the, la- at the end when I stopped doing it, there was probably about 20 people that were out there, and it just got really, really insane. And uh, the police came, and we had our box of beer, and, and it was like, well, what are we going to do, right? They're going to take our beer. And I, so I went around, and I asked everybody, do you have any change? I got 25 cents, because that's how much paper cost. Opened up the paper box, stuck the box of beer in there and everybody else's booze, and uh, the cops came, took the three yahoos away, and then uh, another 25 cents later, and we got all of our uh, drinks back. So, but to that end, it was just really good because when you go to a show, it's like a melting pot of, of all kinds of different people. And that is what is probably one of the more unique things, including the band itself. So if you don't mind, I'm going to list off some of the ones. Uh, Joe Saturani, uh, $9.70. George Thurgood, $16.50. Dr. Hook, $18.50. Tragically Hip. 20 bucks, Iron Maiden, $26, Robert Plant, 23, Nazareth, 25, uh, Roadside Attraction, 41, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, and Chili Peppers. And just, I got, like, I lost most of my tickets because mm-hmm. obviously you're at a concert and things get uh, obviously out of hand at times. Mm-hmm. So, but like, I've managed to keep uh, a fair amount of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, I've gone to some pretty extreme lengths for tickets. But I always felt like uh, it was uh, well worth it. Uh, in the end, the tickets started getting too expensive, and I started getting too old. I, like at the time, I was 17, and now I'm 54. So, 
it's not that important to me. Like the latest band that I saw was uh, Steve Miller with Peter Frampton. Uh, that was $59.50 at uh, the new um, uh, stadium that uh, Edmonton has uh, made. But uh, can I uh, do a plug for a friend of mine? Uh, sure. Have you ever seen the movie It Might Get Loud? No. No, well, it's kind of a documentary, mm-hmm. and it's got, uh, um, uh, what's the butt from U2? Uh, I can't remember what the guitarist name is. It's got uh, um, Edge? Jack is White. It? Yeah. It's got Jack White, and yep. it's got, uh, um, uh, Ro- uh, not Robert Plant, uh, 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 oh, what the, what's the guitarist for Led Zeppelin? You know, I'm terrible with names, so uh, let's just leave it at that. The guitarist for yeah, Led Zeppelin, those, yeah. Those three, those, three, those three guys, Jimmy Page, sorry. Jimmy Page, That's of course, I should know that, yeah. Yeah. There is a part where he is going through his record collection and he pulls out uh, uh, an, an album and he plays it, right? But when you see his record collection, my friend has a record collection that is really close to that. So if you ever get the opportunity or anybody gets the opportunity to see that show, you will see a record collection that is epic. My friend, his blog, is it was a band that we had, uh, me and the buddies that used to line up uh, for tickets, mm-hmm. and it's A-C-I-D-I-C-A. And uh, that's his blog. And okay. if you want to see a person that has seen more music than probably almost anybody in Canada, I, 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 I guarantee it. This okay. guy is just a music aficionado. Anyway, Ian, thank you very much. Uh, yep. I don't, didn't mean to take up so much of your time. But nope. uh, anyway, you have yourself a great day. Yeah, thanks for sharing the stories, Joe. Really appreciate it. Bye-bye. Uh- Okay, let's so from from Aerosmith and George Thorogood. Did not think we were going to get a George Thorogood reference on the program today. Let's go back to, well, a reference to Taylor Swift and uh, and and with the, those Toronto concerts, six of them, and what is it, fifty thousand seats per night? Uh, so three hundred thousand seats. The cheapest tickets, as I understand it, were about a hundred and fifty dollars. But then, of course, it all sold out super quickly. And so, if you go to the resale. Um, sites like StubHub, you'll see the asking prices have skyrocketed. Although keep in mind, when you see those, like sometimes people go, oh, tickets are going for $1,500. Well, what it means is somebody's asking that and then you're never really sure if, uh, you know, what people are paying. Anyway, let's get a better understanding of the economy behind ticket sales. We've reached Pascal Corhi. He's a professor of economics at the University of Victoria, and he's been studying ticket prices for the last 20 years. Professor Corhi, thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so, you know, people uh, are frustrated by ticket prices these days. Not everybody. Some people say, you know, you're getting value for money, but but there are other people who, who are frustrated by them. Um, and, and so for those people, when they look at Ticketmaster or the resellers or the artists themselves, who would you say, I don't know if we want to say, is to blame or responsible for ticket prices being so high? So it's a difficult question to start with. I think most concerts wouldn't have the problem we are we are observing with uh, with uh, Taylor Swift. Uh, so there are a few superstars, and uh, only a, for, for many of many of them, only at some point in their career, we, we would have so much fan interest that they don't want to charge uh, the, the price that would be uh, the let's say a regular price, like what what other. Uh, artists would, would charge even some other top artists. So Taylor Swift, it's the case now, right? She, she, there's massive interest. In the past, we have had uh, other concerts like that, Ed Sheeran and uh, Tragically Hip. And so you need a very specific event. 
And then the issue is um, you're going to underprice the tickets. And so you're going to essentially make a gift to your fan. You want to make a gift. And the problem is that now uh, uh, some uh, uh, resellers that are using bots can acquire the tickets and resell them for profit. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge you face when, when you are in the situation where you know upfront that you're not trying to price to market. So how is there an effective way, do you think, to take away the resellers from the equation to, to try to reduce the, the, the sort of the speculative part of the market? That, that's exactly the right question you want to ask. And uh, so, some artists have, have, uh, have uh, used ways that uh, do a better job than verified fan. And essentially, you need to sell uh, nominative tickets. And then uh, only uh, the people who buy tickets have to give a name. And uh, this name is checked upon admission, a bit like an airline ticket. And then it becomes much, much more difficult for uh, resellers to, to benefit from buying tickets in the primary market. So some artists like Ed Sheeran did that for some of his concerts. The problem with doing that is that now at admission, you have to check ID. That adds a little bit of logistic problems. And, and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, people forget their IDs or they don't understand which proof of identity they, they, they have to bring. And so it takes, it's costly for the artist to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that Adele did that for a concert here in Vancouver, and I think it really did slow things down at the entrance point to to the arena. So as you say, there are logistical issues. Now, there's another approach that at least a, a small number of artists have tried, and that is if this is a supply and demand issue, why not increase the supply? So I, I mentioned Garth Brooks earlier in the program. He famously has done multiple concerts in cities, including Canadian cities, like, like eight concerts in seven days, um, hoping to kind of soak up all that demand and everybody goes away happy, right? The artist does, but so do the fans. Um, how practical a solution is that, do you think, for, for other big artists? So, no, that's a very good point. Uh, what, what you're saying, some artists set a price and they stay in town uh, and they keep on playing and they add uh, uh, dates until uh, everybody who wanted to, to uh, see the show at that price uh, is satisfied. So th- th- that works pretty well. And, and if, you, if you're thinking about the current condition, right, I mean, we've done the opposite, right? Uh, uh, Taylor Swift uh, announced first 27 concerts. So obviously you get a frenzy, you get a lot more interest. And uh, that's exactly the opposite than saying, okay, I'm going to do, now she's up to almost uh, more than 100 concerts. And so people, uh, the, the frenzy happened because there's a sense of scarcity. And the way you manage that scarcity and the way you uh, try to uh, um, uh, give a chance uh, by giving more dates, playing in larger venues, that, that can solve the problem as well. One last thing, there's the scarcity issue and then there's the transparency issue. And one of the things is, you know, like I know, for example, that the hockey arena here seats 18,600 people. What I don't know is when there's a concert here, how many of those seats are actually available to me when those tickets go for sale? How big an issue is that? So it's, it's very difficult to, to find out, but uh, from uh, past experiences, some, some, some concert sales have been audited and we have found up to 30 to uh, even 60% of the tickets that were never offered to the public and offered through alternative channels like credit cards or 
Sometimes there were even like even worse situation where the, the tickets are sold directly in the secondary market. And then uh, the fans have good reasons to be upset because they're told that they're going to be a lottery. They have to get a code. They have to uh, uh, set up an account. And then we have absolutely no idea about how the algorithm works. We don't know uh, how many people uh, uh, were asking for tickets and how many tickets were actually uh, distributed. And we don't know how many tickets were acquired by bots. So I think the industry could do better. They could uh, be more accountable. They could uh, uh, report on the success of the method. Did they succeed to uh, allocate tickets to fun? How many uh, tickets did fun uh, uh, got? And uh, uh, if the system is imperfect, let's be uh, very honest about it. And let's recognize our shortcoming and and say that we we found so many tickets on the secondary market. And these tickets were, when we look at the specific tickets that that are sold on the secondary market, it's easy to audit the sales in the primary market and to realize that from uh, uh, the the type of uh, maybe it's, it's a bot, maybe it's a certain credit card, maybe mm-hmm. that pattern in the sales that it's fairly easy to identify after the fact yep. that some tickets were acquired by resellers. Yeah, these are all good things to, to think about and uh, something that you study. So I appreciate you sharing your insights and your expertise. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pascal Corti is a professor of economics at the University of Victoria, and we reached him in Victoria. Uh, You can start calling now if you have questions about the latest COVID variant or the new RSV vaccine that was recently approved by Health Canada. We have an infectious disease doctor who will be here to answer your questions on our AMA in about 15 minutes' time. In the meantime, still we are looking forward to hearing stories on our main topic. How far have you gone for concert tickets? Was it worth it? Call us at 1-888-416-8333 or text us at 226-758-8924. Mackie Simon is on Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. Hi, Mackie. Hi, good evening, Ian. How are you? I'm doing really well. And uh, I, yeah, well, so tell me, as I see in the notes here, uh, a reference to Michael Jackson's Pepsi yeah. tour in the late was, 80s. Did you get to right. see that? Well, I'll tell you how that happened in 1984. But before I get into the story, I just want to uh, uh, make aware to all your listeners, parents, there's going to be a lot of scams out there mm-hmm. with this uh, whole Taylor Swift thing. So you got to, you know, the parents have to educate their kids to be careful because they're going to start happening. Yeah, you, mean, you mean like counterfeit tickets? Counterfeit tickets, contests, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I ran Crime Stoppers for 25 years in Toronto mm-hmm. because I live part time in Cape Breton, and you know, just my Crime Stoppers hat. I just want to make parents aware yep. and to make their kids aware. Be careful out there because they're going to start coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I got burned one time on counterfeit yeah, tickets, see? and uh, and uh, well, it, like it really, really made me angry. Anyway, okay, okay let's my story, happier, my story. happier stories now. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. 1984. Well. Ever since I was 13 years old, I knew I wanted to get into radio broadcasting. Is that a big mistake? Well, that's another story. <laughs> so um, I went, you know, I, radio was a passion of mine. I hung around the uh, big radio station, K. Brighton, CJCB 1270, mm-hmm. and I just loved radio. So I knew I was going to go to Humber College in Toronto, study radio. So I ran a radio station in Nova Scotia at a camp, and it was called CKBC. So when Michael Jackson was announced... It was hard to get tickets. So what I did, a friend of of mine and myself, we wrote a letter to CPI back then because they were the big uh, ticket promoter. CPI and Donald K. Donald, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, the the Ballard family. Mm -hmm. And we wrote a nice letter to their marketing director, communications director, 
looking for accreditation. And guess what? We got it. Nice. Very nice. So we went from, flew from Cape Breton to the Nova Scotia to the uh, grandstand at the CNE. We climbed the big steps in the old stadium there and we got to see Michael Jackson. Yeah. You know what? And That's that, that, and and so tell me, uh, like uh, the the sort of forty five second version of how great that concert was. Oh, that you know that's that's a concert you know I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, whatever's last of it. But um, you know, and that was a one and only uh, show for him in in uh, Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, he did every song from Thriller to uh, you know every song from yeah, that Billy Jean album. beat it Billie all Jean, that yeah you got to beat it to rock yeah. with you and you know. It was just my radio passion back then to say, you know what, let's let's try this. And back then there was no computer, so we hand wrote the uh, the letter to good for you uh, CPI, and it happened. Yeah, and you know, like Michael Jackson leaves a complicated personal legacy, but certainly as a musician, he was magical. So thank you very much for sharing the story. He's missed. All right, and great topic. Yeah, Take care. thank you. Uh, Marie Armstrong is calling us from Nanaimo, British Columbia. Hi, Marie. Hi, Ian. How far have you gone for concert tickets? Well, um, starting in 2008, my teenage daughters were in love with the Jonas Brothers. Mm-hmm. So uh, I made the mistake of taking them to a concert in Toronto and then to a concert the following day in Detroit. So that let them see, oh, we can actually travel to a different country for a concert. <laughs> Yeah. So that resulted that resulted in three fabulous summers of us following the Jonas Brothers around a little bit each summer. So and so, how many concerts did you go to? Well, my kids went to twenty one concerts. I went to maybe three because I was sleeping in the parking lot, preparing <laughs> myself for the drive to the next concert. Wow! And uh, so, tell me about that experience. Like, what was it about? like 21 concerts in three summers for your two daughters and there's mom who's enabling them, you know, driving them around. Um, what, what was the, what was the, what was the, like, what did they get? What did all of you get out of all of this? Well, I'll tell you when it started, I believed honestly in 2008 that this was a once in a lifetime thing. Mm-hmm. So we were going to do it and it was going to give me special time with my daughters. And it did. Mm-hmm. And occasionally uh, my younger daughter's best friend, came with us as well. And other times I actually rented a van and would have a van load full of teenage girls. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, it was the thrill of searching for the tickets, planning the trip, you know, can we drive between those points, Uh, being online on all our computers, trying to get tickets. So just a little aside, I remember one time uh, Live Nation was the ticket vendor at the time, and the site crashed. So people were just going crazy. And I'll never forget one girl tweeted saying, Live Nation, you sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything so, seems so much bigger and more important, right, when you're a young uh, oh, music fan. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and then there'd be that driving in the car, thinking about the concert, talking about how great the Jonas Brothers are, singing the songs. And then after the concert, when they would come out to tell me about it, they, you know, they had just had such a fabulous, fabulous time. And we, you know, even though that was so many years ago, we still talk about things will pop up. You know, oh, remember when we were in Boston and this happened? That's fantastic. Um, 
have, have you met the Jonas Brothers? <laughs> I have not met the Jonas Brothers, but my yes, my daughters have, because wow. a couple of times we were able to get VIP packages with meet and greet. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one time when um, one of their songs was Who I Am. So they were doing a special thing where fans could submit pictures that were going to be shown on the screen while the song was being played. Mm-hmm. So my younger daughter did that, and hers actually got selected. So then we went through the whole thing, you know, the release and everything. But we, I was at the concert when they first showed it. So to see my daughter up on the big screen behind her love, Nick Jonas, <laughs> uh, you know, it was phenomenal. I feel like there's a little art film to be done about you and your daughters and the Jonas Brothers. So hopefully somebody who's listening, uh, Marie, will think about uh, putting that together. But thank you for sharing the story. That is fantastic. You're, you're very welcome. Thanks for the show. It's been great to hear everybody's memories. Yeah, it has been. It has been great to hear it. Thanks. Uh, let's go to Ottawa now. Kevin Fitzgerald has, uh, is calling. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing, Ian? Good. I am looking quickly at the notes, but I am I reading this right? You lined up, to, is it on your wedding night to get tickets for the Rolling Stones? Yeah, well, during the day. My wedding my wedding was uh, to happen at 4 o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. Yes. And, um, yeah, I had my, my, my buddies had taken me out the night before mm-hmm. uh, for the pre, uh, pre-wedding party with the boys, and uh, I was adamant that they get me home early so I can get to bed and uh, get up bright and early the next morning and get down to uh, where they sold the tickets. Uh, this was 1989, so it's long before any internet sales mm-hmm. or anything like that. And um, th- we did. Uh, they didn't get me home early, but uh, I got up early and uh, my buddy drove me down and uh, standing in line, it was at a shopping mall in Ottawa. I think it was called Lincoln Heights Galleria at the mm-hmm. time. But um, uh, stood in line, and um, they they said show sold out. But they said don't go anywhere. We're working on getting another one together. We don't know if it's going to be the night before this one or the night after. But we're we're pretty confident it's going to happen. If you want to hang around, <laughs> uh, good enough. And um, a lot of people peeled away. They just they just left. So yeah, and and they Kevin and they they weren't even those people weren't even getting married later that day. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> right. so here you are. You've made the the astounding decision to oh, well, to to stay in line. Oh yeah. Well, my my buddy thought I was nuts. Like he yeah. Said, like you're not like you're crazy. And um, but I, I was I was a, I still am a huge Stones fan. And um, anyway. Uh, sure enough, about a, about an hour and a half later, and this is getting close to about one. So I got to get back to the house and <laughs> you, you know get 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 stuff ready. And um, yeah, sure enough, bang, got up to the front, got four beautiful tickets. Uh, it was awesome. Um, uh, my my wife's uh, maid of honor and and uh, her boyfriend at the time they were coming with us and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it was it was just, and it was a wonderful show. I mean, I I personally think it was probably one of their best outings that that they've had. I mean, yeah. um, it was it was classic Stones lineup, and um, and it was really good. And I it, I think it was their first appearance back in Canada since that whole Keith Keith Richardson, Richardson episode yeah. right back in 
and um, so it, it was. It, there was a lot of energy in the crowd, and mm-hmm. and it, it was just wonderful. And I, and I remember like that night, uh, you know, at the reception, and um, it, it was it was funny. Like half my friends were congratulating me on getting married, and the other half were saying, "Congratulations, you got four tickets." <laughs> and L- listen, uh, listen, and, one, and one... if I can get an extra one, I'd be eternally grateful. <laughs> and. Uh, but no, it was it was it was it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, two two and, quick follow up questions, Kevin. Uh, one is, as you were waiting in line on the day you were going to get married, as you were in line, did your wife have your future wife have any idea? I, I told her I was doing it. I I don't know if she actually believed I was. Mm-hmm. I, I I think she thought maybe I was just you know blowing smoke as the saying would go. Yeah, no, I think she probably but, thought you were like normal and rational and that Yeah, you, normal and rational, yeah. which I am. I really yeah. am. But sure, I mean, you, sure you we're, are, we're Kevin. talking the stones here. So yeah. I mean, you know, um, okay, and so here's the last question, right? It's yeah. the obvious question. Everyone listening needs to know the answer to this question. Are you still married to that same woman today? Happily married. Wow. Happily married. We we uh She's not a big Stones fan, but we're both big live music fans. Yeah. We, we try to get away to shows as often as we can. And, um, you know, our musical tastes are a little bit different from one another, but we make it work. Yeah, she's and, the hero uh, of this story, Kevin. Hey, eh? She is the hero of this story. Yeah, well, she, she, she's the hero through this entire thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much for calling us. Thank you, Ian. Have a nice day. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to try to squeeze in a couple more calls before we start the AMA, but we do have an infectious disease specialist, a doctor who's going to be here to answer questions about the new COVID variant of concern and uh, boosters in the fall and uh, any other questions you have, RSV, for example, other uh, viruses that may be lurking about. But as I say, let me try to uh, throw in a couple of more uh, calls here. Kim Brower is in Belleville, Ontario. Hi, Kim. Hi, Ian. So you, you, on the bingo card, we have not X'd out Supertramp yet, but you're about to do that. That is your story. Tell, <laughs> tell us about that. Well, I'm on the highway. I've pulled over, so I can tell you. I've just been listening to the show and have some fabulous memories. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't remember how I got these tickets, but my girlfriend and I went in London, Ontario, to see Supertramp, Crime of the Century, and of course, it was just out of this world wonderful but mm-hmm. we were two cute teenagers so somehow some guy for, that was with the band found us we were on the floor uh, and kind of came up to us and said hey girls do you want to come backstage after and meet the band Whoa. And course, oh yeah i'm 18 years old i'm like yeah we want to come backstage okay so, so listen i'm glad i'm glad you're telling me this story now all these years later so from the perspective of being a, a mature adult because um <laughs> it gets really you 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 won't believe what happened well, okay so I, I i so you know i'm in your hands here like you be careful as you tell the story but okay oh, yes. no, so, no, so 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 13 Kim and her friend are 18 years old. They're at a Super Tramp concert. Sounds like the timing would be around 77 or 78, right? Does that sound around, about right? Uh, yeah, like, I think 75. I, I'm okay. thinking I was around 18 All right. years old. And, and anyway. you're, you're living a moment that I have only seen in movies, but uh, two, as you say, cute teenagers who were invited to yeah. go backstage. And then, Kim, what happened? And then, of course, Ian, we go backstage and... My memory is a little fuzzy at that point, but somehow 
we were told, here, take these other passes, go to Hotel London downtown, and go to this floor, seventh floor, whatever, to this room number, you're invited to the after party with the band. And we're like, okay. Wow. We hop into my girlfriend's car. We go down there. I'm nervous. We're both nervous, but mm-hmm. we have no idea what we're doing. We have, like, we just, it's 1975, so we go to the hotel. I've never been there in my life. I'm thinking if my parents had any idea what I was Yeah, I was just wondering about that. I was oh, assuming yeah. you did not call your mom before you did this. No, no. Oh, no. how? Well, there was no cell phone. <laughs> right, So we right. go... Pardon me, we go in, we open the door, I'm knocking on the door, we go in. It's exactly in my mind how you, like a movie. It's mm-hmm. smoke and music and people running around this big double room and the band jumping on the bed and it's just bedlam and we kind of go in and I look at my girlfriend and I go, we have to get out of here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm scared out of my mind. My parents are going to kill us if mm-hmm. we find us that we're here. So anyway, I know you're running out of time. That's not the end of the story. Forty years later, I'm directing a television show in Toronto as a grown woman, mother, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Roger Hodgson, oh man, the singer of Supertramp, is on the show. Yes, and I'm because I'm directing. I get a photo op with him, and we're having our picture taken by the press. And I, and he goes, "Oh, it's just lovely to meet you, Kim." And I said, "Well, actually, we've met before." <laughs> And and did he kind of step back nervously? He blanched and he yeah. said, oh my God, I hope I didn't do anything you don't want to tell me about. I was a very bad boy in those days. And I said, no, actually, I saved you the trouble by being so good, such a good girl that we left the party. And he, I said, I have to tell you, I was scared. I don't know if I can say this on the radio, S-H-I-T-less. Mm. And uh, he looked at me and smiled, and he goes, and he has his arm around me, and he goes, "Oh well, now I'm scared, s h i t less of you." <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I'm I'm happy. Like it's a fascinating story. I'm happy, obviously, that everything worked out just fine, which has a lot to say about the you know you and your and your friend, right? Just the presence of mind that you had. But um, oh yeah, yeah, that was, you we know, we're out of there. Um, wow. So. Next time I hear Supertramp on the radio, Kim, I'll think of your story. You've got to. Every yeah. time I hear, I think of that night, and then 40 years later, bless Roger Hodgson. Well, he's lucky it worked out well for him, too. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's what he said. <laughs> Th- thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. One more call on this before we start our AMA. Let's go to Lavinia uh, Lax, who is in Aylmer, Quebec. Hi, Lavinia. Hi, Ian. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Tell me your concert story. So my concert story is I'm 54 now, but mm-hmm. when I was 30, I briefly went back to university and I had just gotten my student loan and I blew the entire thing on scalp tickets to see Tom Waits <laughs> in Vancouver at that's, the last minute. That's not mature. <laughs> no, but it was awesome. <laughs> wow. And yeah, so... I, and go and ahead. so and yeah and why Tom Waits why go all the way to uh, to Vancouver to see Tom Waits? Oh, he's he's like my musical god. Like the way people are talking about the Stones mm-hmm. and then the Beatles and Supertramp. That's that's Tom Waits for me. So I actually didn't even know he he was uh, touring, and I, I found out he was going to be in New York. I was like, great, I'm going to go down to New York, and it was sold out. And I think the same thing happened in Toronto. 
And I had a friend in Vancouver who phoned me and said, look, he's, he's at this theater. Do you want me to pick up scalp tickets? And I was like, yes, do it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Bought and and was tickets it at the last minute? Was it everything you hoped for? It was incredible. It was everything I hoped for. Well, that is terrific. Yeah. Uh, there have been so many terrific stories, and I'm and I'm I'm just also really uh, blown away by the range of musicians that we've heard referenced. And so, yours is the first uh, mention of Tom Waits. I definitely know people who are huge fans of his. So I'm glad you had a chance to tell your story as well. Did you end up getting your degree? Yeah. No, I actually dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think, well, maybe there was a reason that I went back was just to get me to Tom Waits. Excellent. Well, there's a, there's somewhere in your story is immoral. I'm just not exactly sure what it is, but we, we have some time to think about that, Lavinia. Yeah, I, think, I don't think it's a good moral, moral no, though. <laughs> no, but you know what? But uh, I'm glad that you had a, that one of those magical concert experiences. Thank you very much for calling. It was tremendous. Thank you. Cheers. It's time for Ask Me Anything on COVID variants, boosters, RSV, and what's likely to come this fall. The World Health Organization is keeping a close eye on that new strain known as EG.5. The virus continues to circulate in all countries and it continues to change. Everybody's tired of it. You know, I'm tired of it too, but it's still out there and it still can be potentially dangerous. We can reasonably expect that there will be a fall increase in cases. The World Health Organization has declared a new COVID Omicron strain, a variant of interest. It's known as EG.5, and it is on the rise here in Canada. And this news comes as Canadians are thinking about back-to-school plans and what COVID might bring this fall. Plus, Canada's national vaccine advisors are recommending updated booster shots this fall that will specifically target the Omicron sub-lineage. To help us navigate what all this means for the months ahead, we are live with Dr. Lenora Saxinger, an infectious disease physician at the University of Alberta. And Dr. Saxinger is here to take your calls and answer questions. You can ask her anything on this topic, one 888-416-8333. It's been a while, Dr. Saxinger, since I've had a chance to speak with you. Thank you very much for taking up our invitation. My pleasure. It's always slightly terrifying with asking. <laughs> <laughs> but you always handle it so well. Uh, let me start by asking you about this new subvariant EG.5. What can you tell us about it? Well, I mean, it's it's yet another Omicron offshoot. And so Pretty much since the beginning of 2022, it's been Omicron all the time, all the way with many different, um, I guess, as a virus passes through populations, it accumulates mutations. And so um, in different places and at different times, you get quite a variety of different strains can be present. And what happens sometimes is if one of these strains is a little bit more talented than the others in terms of being able to infect people, it becomes a dominant strain. And so the XBB lineages, which are the ones that the booster vaccine this fall is going to be targeted to, have been you know, increasing over the past months. And so that was a good pick. And this is actually a subvariant of one of the XBB variants um, that appears to be a little bit extra good at spreading and thus you know, in a lot of places, it seems to be the one that's kind of taking over in terms of circulating variants. And in Canada as well, um, not all places have the d data teased out yet, but it looks like it's going to be exactly the same story where this will likely be the dominant strain here as well. 
So it is more successful in in replicating itself or spreading than other uh, variants. But in terms of its strength, its ability, you know, it, its ability to to spread, uh, are we seeing any signs that it that more people are getting COVID because of the subvariant than otherwise would? You know, that that's I mean, that is the question, which is, you know, we, we might see an uptick in cases for a variety of reasons. Um, um, and, you know, because we're going to the fall and people will be congregating. Um, the, the big question is, is this variant more talented at causing severe infection and is it going to cause more infections than would have otherwise occurred? And I think that there is kind of a suggestion from some places that with this variant becoming dominant, they are seeing increased reports of infection. Um, it's less clear if it causes more severe infection. And so that's something that's going to be watched very closely. It, it doesn't so far appear to necessarily, but the reporting has really changed and it takes a little while to kind of get the picture um, between places. Um so it it but it does seem like it might actually be a little bit more likely to infect you upon exposure. I guess the other thing that people should think about is, you know, we're going into this fall with a community, a population that's had a number of vaccines, a number of infections, and kind of the population wall of immunity um, is kind of a concept I think about when we're looking at what might be a surge. I, I think that, you know, even though the numbers are going up, if you compare the numbers even of hospitalizations right now to earlier in the pandemic, it remains very, very low, um, which is reassuring overall. And, you know, the scary thing would be if we saw a variant emerge that had like a clear signal of more severe infection, which fortunately this doesn't appear to be the case at this point. Mm-hmm. We're live here with Dr. Lenora Saxinger, and I'm going to go to the phone call, phone lines. You can give us a call if you have a question for Dr. Saxinger, one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. Janet Wees is uh, calling us from Calgary. Hi, Janet. Hi. What, what's your question for Dr. Saxinger? My question is for the people who have had their shots six or seven months ago and want to get a booster because their immunity is waning, um, and anybody who had the infection six months ago, you cannot get a booster in Alberta right now. You have to wait for the fall. And to me, that's not safe. If you're a diabetic, you're prone to more severe consequences from the virus. And even... um, a diabetic can't get a booster. You can only get a booster in Alberta, according to the drugstores, if you're over 65 or if you're under 65 and immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. So what's the answer? If anybody wants to travel, and people are traveling, like either in the country or not, you can't even get a booster to travel and you you can't get a booster to stay safe for the next two months even. Right. Like, I don't understand um, if okay. it's because this booster isn't going to be safe against the new um, SE or whatever it's called. Uh, I don't understand the reasoning. Okay, Janet, thank you for your call. You know, I want to, I'm going to change the question a little bit because uh, Dr. Saxinger is here as an infectious disease specialist and not as someone who is sort of analyzing public health policy. I mean, Dr. Saxinger, you can answer the question however you want, but, but I think I might change the question a little bit to this, and that is somebody who's thinking about getting a booster right now, Dr. Saxinger, um, if they're in a place in the country where they can get it, 
should they still be waiting until the fall for a booster that is more directed towards this subvariant? And I mean, that's actually a really common concern and a common question, especially if people haven't had a vaccine or haven't had, you know, infection and um, boosted immunity for the last six months or so. People are starting to wonder. Um, I, I would point out a couple of things. One thing is the um, in the past, we've seen that when people get a booster or um, even their first vaccination, if it was done very, very close to prior immunologic exposure, it appears to possibly blunt the response. And so it is likely that if people were getting boosters now, um, they would probably be advised then to wait at least four to six months before getting the XBB booster, which would put you in a position of hoping that the boosted immunity with the current product is as good um, or, you know, overall a net benefit um, compared to waiting until the XBB booster is available. And I think that Probably some of the recommendations right now are based on the current um, risk, which remains actually the lowest it's been in quite a long time. That has to be watched really closely, I would have to say, because it certainly could be that if we had a delay in the availability of the XBD boosters, or if we had a surge um, that actually turned out to be more severe and was affecting a particular group, it might make sense for public health to recommend a specific group get boosted with the bivalent boosters again. But across the board, it really does look like a better bet, at least for right now, based on our current risk scenario, to wait for the XBB booster because it should offer a much better response to the current circulating variants, including the EG5 um, variant, because it's kind of in the same family. Yeah. So it really is related to risk versus benefit and trying to play off these kind of concerns in this background of we have not been at this point of the pandemic ever before, as always. And so we're having to use historical information and kind of current best knowledge to decide what to do. Yeah. So there's a lot packed in there. It was very clearly explained. And I understood, Dr. Saxinger, what you said. I'm just thinking for somebody who's listening to the radio, maybe not kind of able to pay attention to every single sentence there, uh, I suppose the thing the thing for them is, you know, be in touch with their primary healthcare provider, right? Like to kind of navigate all those details you talked about, like when did they likely have their last infection? When did they have their last booster? What are their risk factors? Um, does it make sense for them to wait for the next booster? Um, and, and I guess uh, that the primary healthcare provider can help a patient navigate through that. Hopefully. And I mean, also local public health units will probably be putting out more information, as, especially if there appears to be a signal of increased risk. At the moment, I think that it's likely that the vast majority of people, you're better off waiting mm -hmm. um, because it's not an elevated risk scenario to the same degree as it's been in the past until we get the um, XBB boosters. So for most people, it is completely logical to wait. Um, but that, that could change as things always do with COVID. And, and forgive me if you said this and I missed it, but do we have any sense of when that booster is going to be widely available? I, I mean, the last I heard, there was hope to be available in October. Um, and that would be nice. Like if it was available in October, early November, it would actually kind of mimic the availability of flu shots. And it is also to be hoped and has been suggested that people might be able to get both those at the same time, which is a very efficient way to do it. And anything that makes something more efficient and less of a barrier practically is a good thing. And and so I, I think that we're still hoping for a fall rollout um, before the season gets going a lot. Again, if we had a signal of 
different risk and a need to redeploy the bivalent boosters while waiting. I think that public health would be making that call. But at the moment, it, that doesn't look like it's going to be necessary. We are live I, here with Dr. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you at the end there. I was just saying that my fingers are crossed on that yeah. one. Uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Lenore Saxinger, infectious disease physician at the University of Alberta. And you can call us with your questions for her. You can ask her anything about uh, infectious diseases, but most specifically the new COVID variant, the uh, the various, uh, well, the, the booster and uh, and also other infectious diseases like RSV. Our number is one 888 David Padden is calling us from Toronto. Hi, David. Hi there. How are you? Good, good. What's your question for Dr. Saxinger? Uh, we have had the original generation of COVID tests that were given out free uh, and paid for by the Ontario government since uh, the very beginning of uh, the pandemic. And as we've had variations, I keep wondering if it's uh, still going to be effective especially since when it started, people, uh, especially experts on the CBC, would say uh, they might miss it if you have it. If you are indicated that you have COVID, that's certain. But if it indicates that you don't have COVID, it doesn't mean that's certain. You might need to take the test more than once. And I wonder, now that we've gone through so many variants, whether these original uh, round of tests are still valid and uh, whether or not there are others that have come along that are updated and more accurate. Right. So, I mean, I can just take, this is actually a a good question. It's a common question as well. Um, For all the tests that are currently licensed, there has been some ongoing testing and intermittently someone will publish kind of a summary of where we're at with the sensitivity of the tests. I've only seen one test where it was reported that Omicron was less sensitive, and I think that was withdrawn from the market. The vast majority of the antigen tests, because an antigen is kind of a big target, like it's like the whole protein. Um, the vast majority of antigen tests seem to perform about the same for the new variants. And with, you know, all along, it's been a question of if you get enough material on the swab for the test to be positive or not, which is why there is a recommendation to do repeat test if it seems likely that you have it. Um, but it hasn't seemed to have been decreased over time. And so those same tests should be still good. The other thing that happens is when things are initially manufactured, they put a expiry date on them. And sometimes the expiry date actually ends up getting extended because they pull out tests and retest them to make sure they're still functioning well. And so as far as I know, most of the tests that have still been issued are a very reasonable test to do if you suspect you have COVID. And as you noted, if it's negative, but it seems like it very much could be COVID, it is worth retesting because if people are not getting tested, people who are at high risk of, of severe infection would not then be able to access treatment in most provinces. And so it still is valuable to do the testing if you are someone who would be eligible for treatment. David, thank you very much for the question. And Dr. Saxinger, that brings up a point that actually I, I sometimes forget about, and I think it's it's, a, it's worth underscoring, and that is because they're just like in my sort of circle I hear so little about COVID now, and and I think people's guard guards are down. But if somebody does have COVID and they do fall into certain categories, like uh, immunocompromised, for example, there are reasons for them to know they have COVID and to seek out treatments, right? Absolutely, and there's been no like the the treatments that are currently recommended and available are antivirals that are broadly effective against all the variants that have come along. And so 
The treatments are not specific to a strain. They still offer a real benefit in people who are at high risk of severe infection. And especially, you know, thinking back to the caller who said that, you know, if someone has a medical condition and they're getting nervous because it's been a long time since their last vaccine, you know, whether they get vaccinated or not, they would still be eligible for treatment um, if they get infected. And so I, I do think that it's worth bringing that up again because it has been flying under the radar a lot. Yeah, sure has. Uh, our next caller is Nicholas Smith who is in Sudbury, Ontario. Hi, Nicholas. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. What's your question for Dr. Saxinger? So my question is, in 2021, Theresa Tam and the CDC explained COVID was airborne and that workers would now need tight-fitting masks to be effectively protected. Why is the importance of using N95s, KN95s, and especially elastomeric respirators not being promoted? And, and can I ask you, Nicholas, uh, where do you use a mask? Uh, pretty much everywhere I I go. So I, I'll wear it to healthcare settings. I'll wear it sometimes to the grocery store, sometimes to friends as well if I'm not uh, outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes also while traveling. Mm-hmm. And um, you said sometimes to the grocery store. How do you decide when to wear it at the grocery store and when not to? Uh, well, if I'm going to the grocery store and it's maybe later on, there's not too many people mm-hmm. and transmission is not high in the community at that time, then... I might, uh, I might use something, I might skip it at that time, but yeah. uh, I'd say probably 95% of the time I'd be wearing it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Dr. Saxinger, I don't have to tell you, this is one of those topics that uh, uh, a lot of people are not only interested in, but can be fairly controversial. But uh, what would your answer be to Nicholas in terms of uh, why, well, as he puts it, why are Canadians not wearing uh, proper PPE and masks? Well, I, I think that we should upfront say that anyone who chooses to wear a mask at any time, it's a responsible and appropriate thing to do. And hopefully they will not be you know, looked at um, in a negative way by anyone for that, because that has occurred in a few places over time. So mm-hmm. one thing is, you know, if you wear a mask, it's your choice, it's your face. And um, not to, I'm hoping that no one will ever be negative to anyone about that. Um, the second part of it really, I think, has to do with something that the caller identified as well, which is kind of a risk-based approach. And so prioritizing what you do, um, depending on the ambient risk, if I can say it that way, or the forecast, um, I think is a big part of what we see as making this more sustainable for people. And people can tolerate things in a different way. So many people find it easier to tolerate a medical mask than an N95 mask. Some people actually tolerate N95 masks beautifully and have no problems with them. Likewise, the elastomeric masks, there's fit issues for some people and not others. And so I think they're trying to basically look at the population and say, you know, what is a sustainable thing to do right now and what is the actual risk right now? And right now, when we look at our numbers across Canada, um, I think it is important to track them um, in real time and carefully, but they're the lowest they've, I feel like I shouldn't say this out loud, but they, they remain the lowest they've been for quite a long time, even with reduced testing. Mm-hmm. Percent positivity trends are important to watch. So the risk being low right now and it being summer, I think it would be hard to really put forward a public health necessity for people to wear masks in, you know, everywhere. But I do think we should maintain um, this in the toolbox because if we were seeing especially with the fall and, you know, education starting up again and people getting together in smaller groups again, 
I think that the threshold to use masks should be lower. I think attention to ventilation um, and, you know, basically air quality remains very important. And that there might be a time where we should be actually really doing a public health push for putting masks back into place if the numbers are going in a direction faster than anyone is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And for individuals at higher risk, they might choose to wear masks with a much lower kind of threshold to make that choice or do it consistently. And I think that's completely appropriate. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to a question that someone sent us via air check. Warren Rourke on Hornby Island in uh, British Columbia um, asks, should provincial health authorities recommit to updating COVID statistics, particularly vaccine effectiveness? Alberta Health Services, as an example, updated COVID vaccine effectiveness statistics were taken offline over a year ago in July of 2022. So, Dr. Saxinger, not an issue I know a lot about. Um, What's your response to Warren? I do think that it is important to to actually keep abreast of what vaccine effectiveness is. I think that there is a little bit of difficulty with having some data in the public domain without appropriate framing. And so um, I'm always for data transparency and data is meant to be used for knowledge and action. Um, but one thing that's interesting about the vaccine effectiveness data is it's commonly underappreciated that the numbers are additive to what, like they're additive. So you say the fourth dose effectiveness is only 50% and it's waning. That is fourth dose effectiveness compared to people who've had three doses. And so the overall effectiveness compared to someone who's unvaccinated is much, much higher. But that can be commonly misunderstood. It's kind of a very slippery set of concepts. And so I actually think that these data should be made available um, broadly. I also use data as a plural in case anyone wants to take me to task for that. Because <laughs> um, that happens. Um, but it's also correct. So it's okay. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, you know, as, as long as we're making sure that with data being available, that it's being explained appropriately, because people will be like, it only adds 30 to 50% now, then why would I ever do that? And, mm-hmm. and reminding people that that's using a smaller number of individuals and it's comparing it to individuals who did not have the fourth or fifth dose, yeah. not I use, vaccinated. I use data as a singular, which sounds better to my ear, but you're absolutely right. Uh, your approach is, <laughs> is the correct one. Uh, we can do a different show on, on grammar and syntax on a different day. Um, we have three minutes left, so we have time for one more call, even though we have many more callers here. Uh, let's go to Fredericton and Joanne Hare. Hi, Joanne. Good evening. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, you're very um, welcome. A week ago Saturday, my son-in-law came home from, he's an RCMP, came home from work and uh, wasn't feeling well. So my, uh, his wife, my daughter, told him to put a mask on, and they have very many masks. And he was banned to downstairs. Um, so I've been there with them. Um, I've had uh, five shots. So they have also had five shots. Um, plus, they have a two-year-old granddaughter. Now, he's been very sick. Um, and then on uh, Wednesday, I came back to my place in Fredericton, uh, left their house, and my daughter tested positive um, on Thursday night. So um, I've been te- I haven't had uh, any symptoms. Um, I've, been- I've tested four times. I have a teeny tiny tickle in the back of my throat, but I think it's because I'm sticking the swab way back there and it's <laughs> getting irritated. Um, <laughs> So I'm wondering, how long do I do this? I've been wearing a mask when I go out. Um, I've been wearing a mask at home, um, and but I've been testing negative. So I don't know uh, how long I should test for. Yeah, that's a great question, Joanne. Dr. Saxinger? Um, I can kind of give you an unofficial answer because I don't know what public health actually says. But most people who've been exposed 
actually do manifest um, a positive test within four or five days of their last exposure. And so um, you'd be getting close to the time where I would probably say, you know, routine screening wouldn't be necessary, but because people can occasionally have a longer incubation period, it would probably be worth um, doing it if your symptoms changed. But, um, you know, the sensitivity of the test is actually probably highest within the first four or five days as well. And, um, and so I think that you're kind of at the outside edge of where that kind of screening would be important. Um, but if your symptoms were increasing, like if, if I was in that scenario, I would probably stop testing and actually just retest maybe once more in 48 hours or else only if the symptoms are changing. Joanne, any follow-up? Uh, well, my, my daughter, she uh, gets a fever and then it stops and then she gets it again. So it kind of comes and goes every, every day. She, it'll stop for one day and then she gets a fever again. Um, what about her two-year-old grand, or my I mean, two-year-old not, granddaughter? Well, I mean, you know, masks. the... Uh, Go ahead, Dr. Well, Saxinger. I was going to say, I, I can't give like specific medical advice over the phone, but I would say that for many people, um, you know, vaccination does modify your immune response and does manif- and people can have more, more or less severe infection. Um, it's not uncommon for people to have, you know, reasonably significant symptoms for the first week or two weeks um, with a fairly slow improvement. Um, some people still feel fairly fatigued even out to five, six weeks, and that's normal and continues to improve. Um, for the smalls, um, a lot of kids actually might get infected with little or no symptoms as well. And so I, I don't, you know, there's nothing there that sounds like a particular red flag. And it sounds like they've done everything extremely, you know, correctly in terms mm-hmm. of modifying risk. Masking within the household does further modify risk from a symptomatic individual, but it's hard to remain apart from a small child. Um, and so there's always going to be some risk within that relationship. But, but you know, it's it's acceptable. You do a great job all the time, Dr. Saxinger, in answering the questions from uh, the callers. And also, you know, you can't give specific medical advice from afar, but you certainly give us lots of good general advice. So thank you very much for being on the program. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Dr. Lenora Saxinger, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Alberta, and we reached her in Edmonton. That's it for this week. Thanks to everyone who called today. Coming up on CBC Radio 1, The World This Weekend brings you the latest from Maui and the growing toll of America's deadliest wildfire in more than a century. If you'd like to share comments about today's show, you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Katrina McGaughy and Theodore Van Busicom. Special thanks to CBC's Doug Holmes and the team at Ontario Today. Our TV team is Caleb Isaac, Frankie Fiorini, Brendan Sylvia, Vivian Ming, and Serena Waugh. Technical production and editing from Emily Chiarvesio and Mashid Hadi. Program assistant is Kiata Greco. Cross-country checkup is produced this week by Abby Planter, Steve Howard, and Tori Goodwin. Our digital producer is Phil Drost, and the senior producer of the program is Richard Goddard. I'm Ian Hanna-Mansing in Vancouver. Tonight on The National, we will have the major stories of the day, including the latest from our reporter in Maui. And on the Sunday interview, Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri. And I'll be back here next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.